from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of, Mar- of Marketing. Unfortunately, my co-host, America's Reed, can't join us today, but hopefully he'll be back next week. Um, but we're going to trudge on ahead without him. And what we're going to do on the show today is our hit and miss segment. And we have as a special guest, Kara Salpini, who's the senior editor for Retail Dive. And then in our second half of the show, in the spotlight segment, we'll talk with Mike Cesario, who's the CEO and co-founder at Liquid Death which is a very interesting concept. And I really wish Americas was here for that, but I'll trudge on without Americas on that. But let's start with our hit and miss segment and talking about what's going on in the news because marketing is always an interesting area in the news, marketing and retail. So let me start welcoming Kara Salpini. She's the senior editor for Retail Dive. She's on top of all of this. Thank you so much, Kara, for being here today. Yes, it's always fun to chat through stuff with you and give my <laughs> my opinions on things. Yeah, we try to be really timely and topical in this segment and talk about things that have been happening. And so let me start uh, with something that I read in the news, and then we can go over on some of the things that you had. Um, and I saw just this week, um, Facebook made an announcement, which I thought was pretty interesting. And Facebook said that it pause, is pausing work on the Instagram Kids um, project that they had started because they had so much documentation had been shown on the teen mental health concerns um, about Instagram, on Instagram on t- particularly teenage girls. There was a special article on the Wall Street Journal that showed that Instagram could affect girls' mental health, particularly on issues such as body image and self-esteem. And the idea now that if that's true, that Instagram was starting a new site specifically for 10 to 12 year olds, which we all know are the difficult years for kids, uh, whether or not this was a good idea. So what was your reaction to that news? Yeah, I think it's a super interesting um, topic because like you said, there's been there's been a lot of stuff recently around how does social media actually impact, especially teenagers, but honestly, it has an impact on pretty much everyone that uses it. Um, so there's been a lot of research around that. And there's been like, you know, several documentaries that have come out around the influence social media has on people. So I think like for me, the immediate takeaway is it feels actually pretty um pretty good of facebook slash instagram to to put that on pause because especially if you're already talking about uh, a vulnerable kind of age around with teenagers having issues with it i can only imagine that impact would be bigger for a younger age group um so like first my first thought is it seems like a positive that they are kind of taking some time to think about it and 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 take a deep breath but i don't know if you have other kind of initial reactions yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that they're taking pause and thinking about it is is the way to go. And to acknowledge their negatives to this is, it, you know, it's like not Facebook-like to me. I mean, I'm glad to see Facebook doing that. Um, from what I understand is um, part of the idea is to think about exactly what is the right way to, to do it. Because the reality is the kids are already online. And so 
it's not like you're going to stop them from doing it. They're probably going to get online anyway. So there is a way to think of Instagram as a way to kind of think about it in a age appropriate way with experiences that are specifically designed for that age group, taking into account the negative possibilities. Maybe there's a way to do that right. Whether or not Facebook can do that, I don't know, but like that would be a real hit if they could think about not necessarily to say kids shouldn't be online because probably that's just not the case. But how can we acknowledge that they're online and build a, a software package for them that is age appropriate and understanding of their psychological issues? Yeah, I would also be really interested to see like, you know, obviously I'm not a part of the conversations they're having, but I would be interested to see what kind of conversations they're having around like the advertising and like social commerce sides of, of the equation for something like that. Um, cause, right. cause that's an interesting space too, where, you know, people talk a lot about if you're, if you're in the 10 to 12 age group, obviously you're not really like purchasing things for yourself. You're usually bringing it to mom and dad. Um, but you still have an impact on a lot of the spending and also like what kind of behaviors, what kind of behaviors does that start if as a child, you're, you're kind of like looking through whatever they come up with and getting used to like the, an environment that faces you with ads frequently and faces you with these different, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really curious to see, like, I would be really curious to know what kinds of conversations are factoring in, like what they're thinking in terms of, especially since social commerce is getting so big now that it's got to be a part of their conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way to think through it. Like you think back in the old days when kids were watching TV and there was TV advertising that, you know, there was some stories about people, you know, making kids go and buy products or, or whining to their parents to buy products that weren't good for them. And then say Sesame Street came out with TV that was educational, that was using the medium in a way that was super creative, but constructive, it kind of makes sense that if everybody's online and using social media, we should see this, you know, the Sesame Street model uh, for kids now. So let's take the, the media. It's not in and of itself the problem. It's the programming that's on the media that's the problem. And if Facebook could be a leader in this, I think that would be a huge hit. And what that means exactly, I'm not sure, but that would be kind of interesting to see what would happen. Okay, let's move on to some of the articles. Or do you have a hit and a miss, or you want to talk about some of the articles you've been writing about? Because I know that's your job, and you write about <laughs> all of this stuff. So, which way do you want to do it? Um, well, I've got I've got something that I think is a hit, but I'm curious for your thoughts on. Um, <laughs> so, what I was going to bring up is Third Love, which is the DTC Intimates lingerie brand. Um, they recently launched into activewear, um, and this has been, you know, at least uh, from our perspective, we cover a lot of the direct consumer space, and it's been a big, like a big category to expand into for a lot of the brands that we cover. Um, so Allbirds recently expanded into that space. Thinks recently expanded into that space. And now Third Love is moving into that area. Um, but the reason I was kind of looking at this as a win is, you know, that's been activewear has been a really adjacent category for a lot of underwear brands um, for a long time. Like Victoria's Secret is an activewear, you know, Airy kind of moved into that direction as well. So for me, it felt like a win that they're, 
expanding their influence to that space and a potential additional threat to Victoria's Secret. Uh, but I'm also curious for your thoughts on it and if there's anything that comes to mind for you. You know, it's interesting because when you're giving all those examples, I was thinking about what the brand meant and why the expansion into the alternative categories made sense. So like, say, for example, you said all birds, you know, all birds is about making the world a better place, sustainability. And so giving people who are buying all birds because they do products right, active wear, that makes sense. And when you think about Spanx, what's Spanx about? It's control, you know, like uh, making sure that your body fits into the clothes you're wearing, you know, so having those kind of clothes and finding clothes that could kind of keep hide the curves you don't want to show, um, as well as being active wear or fancy pants, that brand makes sense as an extension. So then I was thinking, okay, so we got two brands where they've got the brand means something and it's going to add value to this, to this, um, you know, athletic wear in a way that there was a hole, there was white space in the market for that. So now when I think of third love, and you tell me if this is right, what I think about in third love is a lot of different sizes, like, you know, thinking about no sizes, right? A lot of their ads is, you know, complicated ways to figure out what size you actually do wear in bras or whatever. Um, and so it would really be about this diversity market. So that's, that would make sense. The only thing is that Lulu and Athleta have been really moving into this diversity market in a big way. And I wonder if Third Love's a little late to that market because when I look at Athleta and what Lulu's been doing, they really have moved away from their tiny portfolio of sizes to embrace diversity in a very, very big way in, in their stores and their advertising and everything. So it just seems like Third Love might be up against Giants and might be coming in a little too late. It's definitely a, a really crowded space. Everyone seems to want a piece of it because activewear has been so huge. <laughs> and like, especially during the pandemic, it even just like kept going and kept getting bigger. I think the, the other kind of interesting point with the Third Love um, expansion is, and I didn't mention this before, but one of the things that they're touting is that their sports bras are they come in cup and band sizing. So the same way that, that a regular bra would versus like small, medium, large, whatever. So that is kind of an interesting element that they're bringing in. And like, I frankly don't know enough about, you know, the differences and how that would fit to know if that's going to work for them. But it's an interesting approach where they're kind of coming at it from the comfort and fit perspective of like, everyone offers, you know, X sports bra, but you can only buy it in an extra small, a small, whatever. And like, maybe your fit is different than that. Like maybe you don't really fit the standard small size. Um, so there's an interesting kind of wrinkle in, in the way they're trying to approach it as well. That, that, uh, if that's what they're doing, I would say that is a hit because I, I think that's where the athletic wear really kind of falls down in, in bras. From what I understand, just a little tiny bit, I worked with a couple of these direct-to-consumers who went into that market. Building a bra apparently is a huge deal. Um, it's really complicated. And all those things that you're talking about makes manufacturing them very hard. And you're probably right. Third Love has figured out that expertise because that's what they differentiate on. And the other, the other brands are talking about it but maybe they're not doing it as satisfactory as well as third love is. So if that's true, then I'm going to vote for a big hit because I think 
people would really welcome something like that. Yeah, I think the question is also just like, and we, we won't know this for a while, but how much does it actually improve the fit of the product? You know, because like if if what they're if they, you know, offer these cups and, and band sizing and that really like really improves the fit of the bra, then that's like super meaningful. Um, but if it's only a small kind of incremental difference from Athleta or Lululemon or whoever uh, is offering another sports bra, then maybe it doesn't do as much for them to be in that space. I got to figure it matters to some degree because Third Love's pretty successful on that. So, you know, there seems to be market response to that. I don't know if it matters that much to me personally, but it might matter to other people. Um, so, yeah, remains to be seen. If it's a meaningful differentiation, this is the name of the game. If it's a meaningful differentiation, it's definitely a success because I think they will do something that the other brands aren't quite doing. If it isn't meaningful and they have enough diversity in those other sizes, then you're right. I don't think they're going to be able to compete against Lulu and Athleta. Lulu just posted fantastic numbers, right? Lulu's, uh, yeah. they, they make their numbers. They were projecting for 2023 and they already made their numbers. So Lulu's just hitting it out of the park. They had three goals. They had e-commerce, they had global and they had menswear and they met every one of their goals and more. So Lulu is in particular a formidable competitor. They, they definitely, they definitely are. But also at some point, you know, if you're in that DTC space, you have to look for where you're expanding next to. I feel like that's always yeah. where they're all looking. So uh, we will see, it might depend on, you know, we might see like where exactly third love goes in active wear, like how big are they going to go into that category? Um, that might differ depending on, yeah, how, how their initial kind of launch goes. And it's also whether we all have, all have enough, you know, athletic wear. I do. Like, I have to say, my drawer is filled to the top with all the clothes I bought during uh, the pandemic to work out in. And I'm ready to start spending money on something else. So that may be another issue, whether it's a little, a little late. Um, but you're right. They're looking for growth. It makes sense as growth. Let's move to some of these other ones. Uh, I know you wrote uh, a story about Banana Republic. My oh my, well, tell us a little bit about that and whether or not that's gonna, you know, I don't know. What, what's your thought on Banana Republic? So I'm very interested in this. This was technically a, a coworker of mine who wrote the actual story oh. on it, but um, it's a super, it's a super interesting kind of pivot that they're making where, you know, for people who have been watching Banana Republic for a long time, it feels like they are pivoting back to where they used to be. So they're pivoting back to this kind of safari adventure kind of vibe. Um, so it's, it's interesting for a couple of reasons because obviously if you've been following Banana Republic, they haven't been performing super well for Gap for a long time. So like there have been a lot of efforts around how do we turn around Banana Republic or how do we kind of increase that appeal again? So in that sense, it feels like a good move to shake something up. And it does feel at least like, like more of a substantial pivot than just being like, we're going to sell, you know, a slightly different cardigan or whatever it is. It feels like a, a bigger, more commit, more committed push in a different direction. Um, so I like that about it. But at the same time, you know, it's, it is a pivot back to something that they used to be. So there was a reason they moved beyond what they used to be as well. 
Um, and I think it, it also plays into what you just were talking about with the pandemic. Um, the pandemic happened. People stopped wa- stopped buying like work clothes and formal clothes, and some of a lot, a lot of the things that Banana Republic sold. So, like, what do you do if your brand <laughs> was operating primarily in a space that people stopped buying? And and even if they're and it wasn't even doing you know particularly well in that space before then. So I think it's I think it's a really interesting pivot, and I'm really yeah I'm I'm really curious to see how it goes, but also. I don't know what your thoughts are having having also kind of been aware of this brand for a long time. Yeah, before I tell you, let me reintroduce you. I'm Barbara Kahn. Today I'm joined by Kara Salpini, a senior editor for Retail Dive. And we're talking about what's in the news this week in the in recent history and whether or not we think these things are hits and misses. And Kara was talking about an article that was in Retail Dive about Banana Republic and their rebranding kind of back to the past almost on their safari look, their casual look, something that was kind of more intrinsic to the brand um, and whether or not that's going to work. So, you know, Banana Republic, if we go back for a really long time, one of the things that Banana Republic did um, that I remember, I mean, this has got to be, might even be before you were born. I'm not sure. It was a really long time ago. But one of the things that Banana Republic was really, really successful with was with the idea of casual Friday. So what happened was there was this idea where you had work clothes and you had weekend clothes. But when they introduced the notion of you can get dressed more casually on Friday, but you can't wear what you wear in the weekend, it turned out that nobody had casual Friday clothes. And, And Banana Republic came into that gap. And that's really where they've been for a long time. So like you were saying, they were office clothes, but they were kind of more casual office clothes. That was their niche. And it was very different from what Gap or Old Navy was doing, what Athleta was doing. It was a definite need. And they were doing well for a long time. Although I think before the pandemic, even they started kind of being less differentiated. So the question is, like what I was saying, when we get out of the pandemic and we start going back to work, what clothes are we going to wear? And I think maybe Banana Republic could be in that place again with that old positioning, or maybe it won't. Part of the problem is to try to guess what's the fashion going to be. You know, what do people feel like wearing? And I've been watching that super carefully because I'm really curious to see what people are going to expect me to wear when I go back into work. And I'm seeing articles all over the place on that. So yeah, yeah, no. And I do think, I mean, the, the interesting thing about the positioning as well is kind of what you just brought up, which is um, you know, they're not, they're not saying we're moving entirely out of like work attire, right? They're emphasizing they're going to have work attire. They're also going to have like casual, more casual attire. Um, and you know, some of the fabrics they were highlighting, like they're going to have leather and suede and like some kind of more, I guess, like fun, I, <laughs> I would call them fabrics. Um, but it's an interesting thought because another kind of impact of the pandemic is not just that we've been working from home now, but like is work attire also going to become just casualized when people are en masse returning to the office? Like if you're if you're going to invite people back into the office and and not have people working remotely, are you at least going to loosen up your attire restrictions? And like that might open up the space that they're trying to get back to now of like, look, you can still look fashionable, you can still look professional, 
but not be as kind of stuffy or <laughs> exactly if they can hit that that's exactly right i think if they hit that that's not going to be everybody some people are going to get all dressed up and they're talking about the peacock look and some people are going to wear their sweats to school you know back to work but there are going to be people who say i want to work clothes but i want to i don't want to be uncomfortable anymore and if they can get that fashion then there it's going to be a hit because they're going to be in at the right price point i think and they're going to offer something that's accessible and easy to get which is where i think they had that big success with casual friday but you know this is pretty tough it, it's a hard market and there's a lot going on and so Maybe, but I, I agree. Banana Republic's been one to watch for a while because it just hasn't been given it good numbers for Gap. So let's move on to another uh, very interesting throwback, which is the Macy's Parade. Uh, <laughs> you want to tell us what you know about the Macy's Parade coming back? Yes. So yeah, this one, I mean, this is really a story that's mostly interesting because of last year. Um, so, you know, every, everyone kind of knows Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's very, it's an event that's very tied to Macy's as a brand. It's like one of their really flagship kind of moments. Um, and so last year it was a big deal that they ended up going virtual with the event in the sense that, you know, they couldn't have spectators. So it, it kind of dampened the impact of a really important moment for for Macy's this year they're opening it back up to spectators um there's they're lowering the number of staff so I think it's they're reducing the number of participants by 10 percent to 20 percent this year so that's kind of how they're trying to handle uh the COVID-19 impact how do they control participants I thought it's like a parade that walks down well, the street so I think they mean in terms of like, you know, if, if your band is coming to oh, the I Macy's see, parade, I see, I see. <laughs> you're not having the audience, the people less. literally in the parade. Yes, yes, yes. There are that think, many people. Oh, I see. Yes. And, and like staff, volunteers, et cetera. So I think it's like a number for the people that they can control. They're limiting it. And then also you have to be uh, vaccinated and masked if you're a staff or a volunteer participant. Um, so that's how they're kind of handling some of the the COVID restrictions, but also I think it's just interesting in terms of like this journey that Macy's has been on and like, you know, similar to Banana Republic, they haven't had the smoothest path as of late. And last year was really tough on them. And then the Thanksgiving Day Parade also had to be virtual and they couldn't do their Santa land stuff and like <laughs> everything that they were kind of known for in addition was was much harder. So I'm interested this year to see like, these events are are coming back for them and like what are they going to be able to you know capitalize on i guess and of course what makes sense here is didn't macy's just recently announce a store within store kind of brand partnership with toys r us um and so thanksgiving yes. parade you know is the first day of holiday season in some sense and so it gives them a chance to try to get people back into macy's for holiday shopping that was always the part but with um, the point of the parade to make top of mind Macy's when you start your holiday season shopping. But now that they've got uh, some investment in toys as well, uh, it seems like they're really trying to go back old school to get people back into their department stores. Yeah. And I think the, to be fair, the Toys R Us partnership, I think doesn't start until next year officially, uh. <laughs> but they have, they've already, I mean, I just saw, I think literally this morning, 
uh, I saw a press release about them releasing a toy list with Toys R Us. So they're already capitalizing on the fact that they've made this deal. Um, it's more so that like the shop and shops, so they're going to open 400 shop and shops of Toys R Us and Macy's stores. Those are opening in 2022, I think. Oh, but I they're, they've already begun, to your point, um, um, kind of moving on that relationship. And, and it is, it's a super interesting deal. I mean, you could talk about that deal for a long time, too. Yeah. It's a really interesting deal because, you know, Toys R Us obviously filed for bankruptcy and it's, it's had a, a very long path in terms of brick and mortar recently where it had pretty much no stores after it filed for bankruptcy and then it kind of reopened to much fanfare with beta and there have been these efforts to bring back toys rs in various ways this is the biggest one i think after post-bankruptcy for toys rs so it's it's a it's an interesting deal on both sides and and to your point it does a lot for macy's at the at the holidays which has been traditionally a really big time of year for me yeah i mean that's the whole point for the thanksgiving day parade it is going to be interesting to see how these traditional retailers these legacy retailers kind of get back their mojo as we are hopefully coming out of this pandemic and back into the physical stores and on this theme let's go to one more that you guys covered which is what bloomingdale's was doing um so another one i mean we're talking about i mean i guess your third love and and facebook our stories at the top of it were about the new retail but now we're going back into to these old retailers trying to come up with new ideas. So what's Bloomingdale's new idea? Yeah, so this is, I mean, this hits on a lot of things that a lot of different retailers are trying, which is essentially uh, they've launched this new concept called Bloomies. And it's a, it's a small format version of Bloomingdale's essentially. And what they're really highlighting is that it's, it's more about curation so they're being really thoughtful about what merchandise goes where. They're downsizing everything so it's easy to kind of scan and find new products and discover things. And they're also going all in on kind of services and really emphasizing the service, which has been kind of a Nordstrom thing for, right. <laughs> for a long time. Um, so it's hitting on a lot of different boxes that a lot of different retailers are trying. Uh, especially with the store concepts. Yeah, it seems to me like Nordstrom Local, only the Bloomingdale's version. And Bloomingdale's has been a successful retailer. I think that they've been doing some good things in the past. So I wish them luck on this. And I agree. They're, I think another thing, not only the small format, I know we're running out of time, but the other thing I think they're doing is not in malls. I think they're doing it more in downtown centers and things. Yes, yes. Well, anyway, thank you very much, um, Kara, for joining us today on the show. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and all the stories you guys write about? Yes, uh, you can head to retaildive.com. That's our website. Um, you can also, on that site, sign up for any of our newsletters. So we've got a daily newsletter and a few different weeklies. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find us. And, and thanks again, Barbara, for, for the time to listen to me talk. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. And retailing is always an interesting area. Very, very easy to talk about timely news stories. So thanks again, Kara, for being here. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I'll talk with the CEO and co-founder at Liquid Death, which is a canned water company founded by Mike Cesario. This is Marketing Matters, Business Radio, Sirius XM 132.